This is the LarryandFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon, and I'm honored to have as my guest once again, Dr. Alan Borf, Superintendent of Schools for the Hamilton Southeastern School District. Uh, Dr. Borf, there's an old saying, we live in interesting times. Uh, that's been true a long time here, has it not? It's, a, it's an understatement. Yeah, and unfortunately, uh, that that's true. I want to start off by just asking you one question. And yesterday, your uh, administration uh, verified that there had been one high school student of the football team at Fishers High School that tested positive, and, and you've been reacting to that. Uh, once that, That's got a lot of attention on my blog. And, yeah. and uh, I, I, the most often asked question to me about this is, how is that student doing? Without naming the student, is the student asymptomatic? Is the student sick? That's the most common question I have been asked. Is there anything you can say about that? Um, my understanding is the student is doing fine and has exhibited few, if any, symptoms. Okay, that's that's good to know. Uh, explain to me when you first found out about this and how you immediate, how you and your staff and your athletic uh, departments uh, reacted to this. The athletic department actually reacted much more quickly uh, than we were able to do because we were notified after the fact. But um, they they reacted uh, by the book when they learned that this um, student had tested positive. Uh, they isolated. They they instructed uh, the student to be isolated. Um, those surrounding the student in practice or in group meetings also were advised to stay uh, stay home until symptoms didn't appear and there would be testing necessary or not necessary and uh, some of the coaches also uh, reacted in the same way so when we found out about it um, we were we were glad to see that the coaches, the athletic department had pretty much followed the guidelines. It's, it's sort of a trial run. It was a trial run for us because we know that there will be cases that will crop up uh, as, as school starts. In fact, we, we haven't even done our, uh, our tabletops with the city yet, with the, with the health department and with the uh, emergency management team. And yet, uh, on that trial run, it operated as it should. So we were glad to see that. So last I understand, uh, there, the practices will continue next week, but the uh, students who were in the general group of the students who uh, tested positive will be uh, uh, set aside and will be isolated for a point in time. Is that uh, your understanding? That's, that's as I understand it as well, yes. Well, and you should be proud of your staff. Everything I have found about this would indicate that uh, you did this by the book, and and you co and you had the cooperation and help of the Fisher's Health Department, which I'm sure yeah. was was a big help. And you've worked with them. I know you have all your school buildings. I think are in the city except for one. That would be Durban. They would have the the county health department jurisdiction. So you are generally working with the Fisher's Health Department at this point with most of these issues. Uh, I want to get yes. in. I want to get into your reopening plans, but before I do that, at the day we speak, we're recording this during the morning of June, or July the tenth, and uh, you're preparing for graduation. And I remember talking to you and Michelle Fullhart some weeks ago, and and there were big hopes that you could have 
a more traditional type of graduation ceremony uh, that you had plans to have them at, at each uh, football stadium. When the, uh, the governor decided not to go to stage five, you had to change those plans. So just briefly explain to the community. I think the, the parents of the, the graduates know this pretty well, but for people who are not involved with a family member, briefly explain how this graduation is going to work. Yeah, the uh, unfortunately, our plans did have to change, and we had to pivot fast. The, uh, the graduation advisors had already developed plan B, plan C, plan D. And uh, one of the one of the plans was uh, in order to make this happen, because we have students, seniors now who are graduating, who are moving on to other places. And uh, it could be the military, it could be school, it could be some summer uh, jobs or, or even uh, uh, college. So we knew we, had, we could not c- continue to put this off. So the plan was to do what other schools throughout the state and probably in the nation have done, and that is a uh, diploma walk. And in this diploma walk, um, we invited seniors, graduating seniors, to come in and in robes uh, and be greeted by the principal, by some of the staff members, come across the stage, pick up their diploma, and have a professional photographer capture the moment. Family would be invited. They could be in the auditorium and, and share in this in this occasion. And then they move on and we have the next one. Well, when you have a large high school like we have at both Fishers and at, at uh, Hamilton Southeastern, you realize you can only do so many students in an hour. So we have booked approximately from 8.30 to 6 o'clock in the evening, 8.30 in the morning to 6 o'clock in the evening or, or later at both high schools, both today and tomorrow. And we will be greeting the seniors, um, taking their photos. We have already uh, recorded video, audio visually, recorded the speeches of their, their, their um, classmates whether that's the student body president, the valedictorian, salutatorian, could be a guest speaker, their vocalists. And then of course, they, re- they recorded my conferring the graduate status uh, on the students. So that ran, I believe that was released last night. It will run both today and tomorrow. Um, so we've tried capturing in a virtual format some of the Uh, elements of graduation. In some ways, this is more inclusive because we were forced during the graduation planning, when we were thinking of having it outside, planning to have it outside, it came to the point where we could only have two family members per graduate. And so in in this format, the diploma walk, the, the entire immediate family could be there. And so it's, it's a little more inclusive, but I will admit it's, uh, it's, an alternate, it's an alternative to the real thing. And we were sorry that we could not provide our students that actual graduation or commencement uh, experience. You know, Dr. Borf, I was just thinking when I was uh, writing down some preparation last night for this, uh, this discussion with you, 
I was trying to think how many classes did you have in your academic career to prepare for a pandemic at a school corporation? I'm guessing none. <laughs> I, no, that wasn't that wasn't in my uh, graduate coursework either. So you're uh, you, everybody is is doing the best they can. Uh, and I and you did mention uh, uh, to the school board, and I saw the uh, video of it uh, the other night, that uh, all the superintendents and school corporations in Hamilton County and some of the surrounding school systems have been cooperating. So you're trying to to share ideas. I'd like to move. We on. go ahead, please. We 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 come together every every Tuesday morning, and it's been uh, it's been rather consistent. We decided early on as we were talking to one another. And I should also mention Garen High School. John Atha with Garen High School is with us. Um, we also have uh, char- uh, Options Charter School involved with us. And sometimes Zionsville uh, is, is involved. So we, we recognized right away we were all in this together with very little experience. And some of the cooperation has involved just sharing our frustrations as well as our great ideas. It's been a good experience. So let's move on to the um, plan that you proposed to the school board Wednesday, and, and you made it very clear, even though it's a PDF document that you shared with the board and the community, that it really is subject to change, and you're, you're expecting changes to happen on a regular basis. I want to ask you about one comment you made, because you began the discussion speaking of, of face coverings. Mm-hmm. Uh, we call them masks. It's just a way to cover your nose, your mouth, uh, as, as you go about your business. The document says, and you did verbally emphasize, that the uh, face coverings will be expected. You did not use the term required. And you made another comment. Yeah, and I think I'm quoting you on this. You said you were, uh, you were unable to, quote, satisfy all positions, unquote, on this issue of face coverings. Talk about the challenge of face coverings and how you're going to be dealing with this in the school buildings once uh, school starts in August. Yeah, we, uh, we recognize right now that there are some students who will not be able to wear face coverings. Um, we have in our exceptional learners uh, department a number of concerns about our students who will um, be just ru- routinely uh, coming in under medical conditions, under uh, developmental conditions that would uh, preclude mask wearing. So that's why we say we, we expect students to wear them, but a requirement has the connotation of a, um, of a policy where every single student, uh, every single time must wear it. And we rec- recognize that can't happen. A student in distress, I mentioned, um, should not have to be expected to wear one. Uh, we think that teachers should have that latitude in their classroom, especially if the students are distanced appropriately and all facing in one direction. We think teachers should have the latitude to make that determination uh, in their classroom, whether the students have those masks on or, or, or face shields. Um, we, we, we think that the expectation is solid enough. We also know that there are parents out there, they've, they've informed us that uh, they don't believe that masks are appropriate, healthy, uh, effective, you name it. 
we have some some parents who have said, I cannot, I cannot even consider sending my children to school if students aren't wearing masks. I mean, we, we have the whole gamut. So we were trying to find some common ground that may not necessarily appease or satisfy the, the, the polar opposites, but at least those people can recognize that we're attempting to factor their views into our policies and procedures. Dr. Borf, I saw a piece this past weekend, uh, uh, a lady who's a member of the media is covering uh, the racing events at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway this past weekend, and she had to fill out a, a, a form about her health. She had her temperature ch- checked not once but twice every time she entered the facility. So there's a wide variance as to how people are being screened. You mentioned uh, to the school board uh about whether or not you'll be taking temperatures. You will, as I understand it, you will not be you know, taking the temperatures of every student as they walk in. So uh, how do you plan to keep an eye on the health of the students and making sure they're healthy and, and doing the best you can to monitor that as they, they begin their school year? Now, we're, we're spending a lot of time com, uh, communicating with parents the importance of um, monitoring their own children's uh, health. And of course, there are several different factors uh, besides temperature. In the past, there have been many parents who have assumed that um, a stomach ache in the morning or a mild headache is not much of a concern and they send their children on to school. And in many, in many, many cases, they've done the right thing. But we're asking them now during this heightened scrutiny uh, that they cooperate by scrutinizing their own child. And uh, so we at one time considered taking the temperature of every student. Think about that. I mean, we have 22,000 students right now. And um, just, just the thought of trying to do that as they're all coming in the door um, just was not a feasible option. Even if we had multiple entries, we we have already had them riding on a school bus in mo- in many cases. It wasn't feasible to have their temperatures taken prior to riding the school buses. So we we are calling on the parents to cooperate with us and help us. Now, once the students are at school and we find that they're exhibiting some symptoms, they will be sent to the nurse right away and they'll be put in an isolated area apart from our clinic where they will be held until their parents can uh, come and pick them up and safely take them to where they need to be, whether that's testing or just self-isolation for a period. So we'll be monitoring all those. Teachers will be monitoring as well as our administrators, support staff, and the nurses. Also, there's the issue of visitors. I know I visited classrooms on a number of occasions in your school buildings for a variety of reasons, uh, helping out teachers, speaking, just being a part of programs where teachers invite me in. Uh, you're, you made some tough decisions there. Some visitors will be allowed under certain circumstances, some will not. Sort of explain how that's going to work. The, the people who come in regularly as our partners, uh, and we've identified them in the plan, and we did leave somehow, 
off the list, uh, student resource officers. And of course, they're going to be in our buildings. Um, I, I think they're just so much a part of us. We didn't, we didn't even think about them as visitors. But we will have, we will have uh, visitors who are normally a part of our program. We have mentors. We have uh, YMCA partners. Uh, the Mudsock Athletic Program is a frequent partner of ours. They will be uh, permitted to be involved as they normally are. They do have to comply with the same self-assessments that our employees will have to uh, undergo. But visitors such as parents, um, people who would just check in, who are not part of our curiosity uh, network, we're not asking, we hate to say we're not allowing them in, but for this time we're suspending the uh, the willingness to allow them into our classrooms. And we really hate that because many times parents come in and spend a lunch period with their children in the cafeteria. We simply cannot permit that at this time. You uh, mentioned that there is a proposal on the table. It's not uh, finalized in any way. I believe you've already had at least one meeting with the Teachers Association on this. You mentioned the fact that the high schools, both of them are very large. 3,500 to 4,000 in each. And one has 3,500. I think it's 3,500. Fishers, I believe, has 4,000, if I recall your numbers correctly. Uh, you, Because it's very difficult to distance people in a situation like that with these very large high schools, you uh, floated the idea of uh, high school students attending either two or three days a week in sort of a rotating basis and have virtual learning the rest of that week, other assignments. Uh, have you broached that with the uh, Teachers Association? If so, what sorts of responses have you received to that idea? The, the, the Teachers Association was, was very open, willing to discuss that. They, they have uh, some concerns, naturally, as we do, about the, the virtual element of instruction. But they recognize the, um, the, the safety piece in here. And uh, I think we're going to become even more serious about that option. We may even be looking at the junior highs as well. Um, the nature of instruction in those buildings uh, would be such that a virtual option could be very benef- could be beneficial in making this thing happen. Uh, we broke our virtual options into a couple different categories and. One is called synchronous learning, and that's where uh, technology is able to provide the teacher an opportunity to teach the in-person students right there in the classroom. But simultaneously, they would be reaching out and also instructing those students who are following, for example, on a conference like we're doing uh, with a Zoom capability. And that's called synchronous instruction. And that may be the mode of, of instruction that we use at the high schools on those days when students are not in the building in person. So they're still learning with their classmates at the same time, same pace. Um, it's, not, it's not an ideal replacement, but it's not a bad one. Let's talk about uh, this, this uh, virtual learning a little more because you revealed this, the results of a survey that was done, and you say you had a very good response to the survey. You wanted to know from families 
how many wanted to do a virtual learning, how many wanted to be in the building or combination. As I recall, you you, uh, revealed to the school board the other night that uh, 10% of the respondents want a virtual learning experience, um, which was was kind of interesting. I had no idea how which it was a little lower than I thought, but it's it's since you'd never done a survey like that, it was really not known until you got the data in. One, there are two aspects of this I want to ask you about. Let me go with the first one first. Uh, you mentioned that for those who have virtual learning and choose that and and end up learning with that method, that this will be a much more rigorous. Uh, academic uh, structure than before because uh, when you were finishing the school year last year you were using a plan that was really set up for weather days and not for a long period of time you just had to do the best you could with with that plan so talk a little bit about these these people who will be on the virtual learning and what type of educational experience they'll be having which would be different from the end of the last school year Yes, it, it's a much more structured approach because there will actually be uh, instruction provided. If, and I'm not saying that there, were some, there weren't some teachers who uh, experimented with that. The e-learning, the e-learning approach that we had last year was, was primarily to provide uh, lessons or homework assignments, and then the homework assignments were turned in that way. The the virtual instruction that we're talking about now may entail uh, students to actually be a part of the uh, a part of the instruction that the classroom teacher is providing to other students. I just described that synchronous learning. It could also be a teacher who has recorded a lesson and uh, put that out there for students to uh, go back on their own time to view. Uh, to uh, reverse, rewind, whatever, and uh, look at it again. And then there would be the assignment. There will probably be, um, especially in the case of our upperclassmen, there will probably be schedules of um, online options throughout the day for them to experience if they're looking for a real-time option. Um, For our elementary students, We understand that when there are uh, assignments out there, we sometimes don't factor correctly the amount of time it will take to do that. So we're limiting our um, instructional time and also noting what it will take for the the actual homework. We may, in the case of uh, some of our elementary assignments, really focus on the math the reading, the science, social studies, and really focus in those areas. Um, and not to say that we would exclude any other topic, but we will really be focusing on that. We, we understand that there will also be online options through our uh, Edmentum, which is a program that, we're, uh, a program that we uh, subscribe to, which would provide some computer-assisted learning opportunities for students. Um, some of our students during the last e-learning experience were uh, participating in that kind of uh, that kind of learning opportunity. The Khan Academy is an option for for students as well. So we're really focusing 
on the uh, attainment of the academic standards and the online instruction should should really reflect an uh, an effort to direct students in those areas. Um, I we were we were notified through panorama surveys, through just um, some of our email contacts with parents that they would like to see a different kind of experience for their students from the e-learning option. Teachers have felt the same way, so you will see a more rigorous type. I think you'll see that throughout the whole county, if not the state, because everyone has had some of that same uh, that same experience. Our technology coordinators, uh, e-learning uh, coordinators, have been in contact with those in other school districts, so we know what's happening uh, throughout the area, and you'll find district after district is working to beef up some of those uh, online options. Quite honestly, I think one of the silver linings of this whole prob uh, this whole process that we've had to go through with COVID has been the technology enhancement that we've been able to provide to instruction. And I think that will last long after uh, the COVID environment has ceased to exist. I want to also, in, in that general regard, ask about your teaching uh, workforce, because some of them are older, some may have health issues, uh, underlying health issues. And uh, you had a discussion during the school board meeting that um, you were going to try to match up teachers who maybe didn't feel comfortable coming to the classroom and taking them and putting them on the, the virtual learning instructing uh, core. Uh, do you know how well that's going to match up? Have you had a chance to survey or discuss with your teaching staff which members of your staff may be more comfortable with uh, teaching on the virtual level and maybe not interested in, in going in the classroom for health reasons? And do you know whether those numbers are going to match up with what your needs are? We, we don't know that yet. And the reason we don't know that is that in discussing this very process of uh, information gathering with our teachers association, it was determined that we should um, move this, this plan out to the public so that the teachers could see what it was that they were expected to be working with and to be providing. And once they understood the, the parameters, the dynamics of the plan, then we would ask them to commit or at least let us know what their intentions were. So we will be starting that process of information gathering next week because the plan is officially released today. Um, so that's, and, and back, to the, back to the original question about pairing up appropriate teachers with the need. We know right now we're hovering around 10% um, of our of our students who will be doing virtual. If that holds true, we're only at, we're only at around ten thousand responses. If all twenty some thousand responses maintain at at a ten percent level, we're going to have a little more than two thousand students who are doing that virtual option. So um, we we've got to be prepared to um, meet that need. It 
probably won't look like just those teachers who um, who don't feel comfortable coming back performing that service. We may be doing some synchronous um, instruction throughout the throughout the district with teachers who are working with their students on site in person as well as those kids who can't be a part of the instruction. We're running out of time, but I have a couple more questions I think are important. One is uh, you mentioned this when you had to go to virtual learning last the end of last school year. You were concerned about the, the need for remediation among some students. Do you have any ideas how you're going to go about doing that? Well, the first, the first challenge is going to be uh, assessing, assessing those students. And uh, we will be doing some assessment. Teachers do that every single uh, beginning of the semester anyway. But once we determine that assessment, we will be uh, massaging the curriculum, if, if you will, to uh, uh, provide some opportunities for catch up if that's what they need. Um, we can compact our curriculum. Many teachers do this routinely at the beginning of the year anyway. It's just something that we need to be very focused on this year because of, uh, in many places, they've seen what they call the COVID slide, which would be something like a summer slide. We're accustomed to working with that. It's just a little more pronounced this year. Last question for you. I know you're a busy fellow and I want to let you go on with the rest of your day. Um, this was not the last school board meeting, but I believe it was two meetings ago. You mentioned the fact that uh, with the concern about uh, racism ever since uh, the death of George Floyd, that you uh, were concerned about how the school corporation was going to incorporate that in, into the into your curriculum, into, the, into your uh, the school day. As I recall, your decision was to have every building principal talk to their own parents and come up with a way to deal with this. Tell me how that's working and maybe give me a couple of examples as to how some of your building principals plan to deal with this when school starts in August. Sure. Our building principals sent letters out to all their families telling them, uh, first off, communicating the, uh, the concern and then also talking about how in their, their uh, upcoming school improvement plans, how we intend to address. Every building has equity coaches. And of course, we have a very effective uh, district-wide equity and inclusion officer in uh, Erica Buchanan uh, uh, Rivera. And she works with that network of equity specialists to develop training procedures. Um, and we do have many, many teachers, hundreds of them, who have been through these trainings. But our challenge is to parlay that training into action in the classroom. And it becomes very difficult when you have gone through the training, you come back into the classroom, and it's, it's dealing with all the, the, the many different decisions that you have that are typical. So we are working with principals this year uh, to, to, to focus not only on technology, but also on the, the, the piece about equity and inclusion. How do you monitor that uh, how do you provide students options uh, that, are, that enable them to express themselves, to express concerns, to alert us to microaggressions that, as many of our white uh, uh, staff members may not even be aware they're committing? 
Um, we, we will, I'm assuming, and I'm just assuming this, but based on what I've heard from our school board, they will be coming together in a retreat format. And um, I would guess that there's going to be not just a focus on equity, but a focus on challenging and dealing with racism as a topic. And um, that will be a little more aggressive and demand a little more, a little more focused attention than just an equity piece. And there's not a principal we have who's not concerned about that. Yes, and the school board did issue um, a statement on racism, which you can find at LarryAndFishers.com. I did uh, reprint that in full. Dr. Borif, I've tried to uh, hit the high points. Uh, we have, uh, we're have we really just about out of time. Anything you would like to touch on briefly before we wrap this up? Well, we started by talking about the, uh, the, the graduating seniors. I would like to congratulate all those seniors. We have some who are going through graduation or the diploma walk as we're talking and uh, uh, wish them well in their pursuits. I say every year we're going to take great pleasure in witnessing their attempts uh, throughout their lives to become uh, thought leaders and change agents and citizens of our world. So congratulations to all of them. We look forward to watching them develop. Dr. Alan Borf, Superintendent of Schools for Hamilton Southeastern Schools, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much.